We're kicking off a series called Man of God. Uh, last month, in the month of May, we did a series called Woman of God. That was the month of Mother's Day. June is the month of Father's Day. So we're going with Man of God. And I'm declaring this is Man Month. Is that okay? A few more low roars. Man Month. Now, the reason I'm saying that is uh, our, our culture has a term called toxic masculinity. And this is a term that defines the aggressive behavior uh, that leads to sexual assault and domestic violence and bullying. And we as a church, I as a person, we oppose and condemn all toxic masculinity. But I promote godly masculinity. I believe in godly masculinity. I know some of you don't know, should I clap on that, should I not? I don't know, is that godly masculinity? Yes, but in an effort, to stop toxic masculinity, we've demonized all masculinity. Now listen, I'm gonna kind of overgeneralize a few things here today, and I recognize, recognize there's a lot of nuances and, and exceptions maybe to every single rule, but overall, I'm gonna generalize a few things because here's how we have demonized all masculinity. We've told little Tommy that he can't play with his toy gun because that's toxic. He can't play with his toy soldiers because and blow things up because that's too aggressive. And he, he can't uh, play cowboys and Indians because that's too violent. He can't even pursue a young lady these days and compliment her on her looks or her work ethic because that may be interpreted as unwanted sexual advances or condescending compliments, which exist, we know, but it creates a problem. And uh, in an effort to abolish toxicity, we've abolished masculinity. And so now Tommy prefers to be Tanya and mom and dad don't have the societal support to be able to tell him, hey, Tommy, put down your mama's makeup and pick up the football and let's go outside. Now, listen, I know I'm overgeneralizing. So what does Tommy do? Tommy becomes Tanya and begins to compete in women's sports and beauty pageants, and the very ones that you have protected by enabling their behavior are now dominating your world again in makeup and dress. We created a very complex and challenging situation. The problem, though, is not the masculinity part. The problem is the toxic part, the defective part, the part that is disconnected from God's original plan for us. And that's the part that needs to be corrected, even from early childhood and in adulthood. That's the part that needs to be corrected, which is why we need men of God. We need men who will man up, who will step up to the plate. We don't need to remove men out of the home like some organizations call for. We, we don't need that. We need men to be present in the home, to stand up and to be in the home. So I'm going to take you to the life of a young man that probably wouldn't have been your first choice if I said, pick me out a man of God out of the Bible. We could have gone to dozens of Old Testament uh, characters and dozens of New Testament characters. You could have picked any one of the disciples. You could have picked the Apostle Paul or John the Baptist. You probably wouldn't have picked this guy. However, he's the only person in the New Testament that's actually called a man of God. His name is Timothy, 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 who is a recipient of two of the New Testament books of the Bible, uh, bearing his name, his, uh, 
His father was Greek, his, Jewish, his mother was Jewish, so he was mixed race. Uh, but Paul addresses Timothy as my true son in the faith in 1 Timothy 1, 2. Uh, even as a early, probably late teen, early 20s, he began to follow the apostle Paul and was even early in his life recognized as someone who was true to the faith. Uh, he served Timothy as a representative in churches in 1 Corinthians and then also in uh, uh, Philippians. It refers to him serving these churches. He was also there as referenced in the writings of Paul as being there as Paul wrote several of the New Testament letters. So he very possibly had a great influence in those writings as well. But I want to read a passage of scripture to you in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I feel like this is God's message for us today as we see what it takes to be a man of God. And of course, all of us can learn from this. This isn't just exclusive for men. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 11, it says, but you, man of God. Everybody say man of God. When I greeted Alan this morning, the first thing he said was, hello, man of God. I said, that's interesting. That's the title of my message today. When I start calling men, just start calling each other man of God. Man of God, call it out of them. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul looks at him and calls him man of God very specifically to him. But in a general sense, the other time that this phrase man of God is used in the New Testament speaks of everyone who is equipping themselves with the word of God. Second Timothy three seventeen. all scriptures inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. So the first time is specifically about Timothy. The second time it's used is speaking to everybody who's preparing and equipping themselves with the word of God, which is all of us. Man of God, woman of God, child of God. So what does it mean? What that phrase actually means is this. It means God's man, a man who belongs personally to God, somebody who is owned by God. We use that phrase, ooh, he owned you. Somebody one-ups you, somebody dominates you, somebody beats you in one-on-one -on -one, or somebody beats you in a, a, a competition of some sort or cuts you down. We say he owned you. Well, what does it mean to be owned by God? That means we have surrendered ourselves completely to God. This is not a man who belongs to sin. It's not a man who belongs to the world. It's not a man who belongs to this culture. It's not even a man who belongs to the church or to the board or to the denomination that the church belongs to. It's a man who belongs to God first and foremost in his life. This man is God's man. And while it appears only twice in the New Testament, it appears over 70 times in the Old Testament. The Bible says that Moses was a man of God. Samson was a man of God. Samuel was a man of God. Elijah, Elisha were men of God. The Bible says that David was a man of God, a man after God's own heart. But as Paul writes to Timothy, he calls him, you man of God. And then he begins to tell him that there are certain things that you need to watch out for because there are people that are trying to infil infiltrate the church and uh, create dissension, to preach biblical 
uh, errancy, uh, people that are trying to bring division. And so he calls him out and he gives him four things that identify, that characterize, that represent a man of God. And I wanna share those with you this morning. I believe they can all be helpful to each and every one of us. Number one, the man, is, the man of God is known by what he flees from. What he flees from. But you, man of God, flee from all this. That Greek word there, flee, is where we get the word fugitive. We're actually called to be a fugitive on the run. Meaning this isn't just a one-time flee. Meaning you're constantly gonna be fleeing. You're constantly gonna be running. But how do we reconcile this posture of a fleeing fugitive when I just shared the armor of God here recently and said that the only part of our body that's not protected by armor is the back because we're never intended to be running away. We're always supposed to be facing and fighting and confronting and moving forward. So how do we reconcile these two pictures of a soldier, of a man of God. Let me share it in just a few pictures. I want you to look at the athlete who is preparing himself for competition, the soldier who is preparing himself for war, and the student that is preparing him or herself for a test. The athlete has to turn away from the late nights and turn away from hanging out and turn away from certain things unhealthy eating habits to prepare himself for competition. The soldier has to turn away from civilian life. And anyone here who is a, a soldier or a veteran or a first responder, you have to turn away from the civilian uh, way of living that when there's danger, explosion or fireworks or uh, 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 gunfire uh, or any kind of danger, then we take off running the opposite direction. What do first responders do? They are trained to head right towards it. So you have to turn away from certain things and turn to other things. The student that is preparing themselves for the test has to turn away from going to hang out and get pizza tonight while they stay and prepare. You have to sometimes turn away from sleep and stay up all night and cram. You're turning away from certain things to prepare yourself for something else. And that's the picture here. Yes, there are things that we got to run from. There are certain things that will destroy you if you don't leave it behind. Leave it in your dust. Get out of the way. Flee sinful things. In fact, the, the Bible tells us many things. Uh, the Bible says, flee the love of money. Flee sexual sin. Flee fornication. Flee idolatry. Flee all the evils that are related to self-indulgence or self-fulfillment. Flee or avoid these things that corrupt your clear mind. Flee or avoid worldly empty chatter or all the garbage that comes in the name of religion and philosophy. There are certain things that we have to flee, but then there are also certain things that we have to follow after. And that's the second thing. We have to flee certain things, but yes, the man of God is known by what he follows after. In verse 11, that word pursue actually means to follow after. So while we're fleeing from certain things, we have to follow after other things. Or what are we following after? We're following after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. While we're turning away from spiritual or from worldly values, we have to turn towards spiritual virtues. We've got to make sure we're following after the right things. In fact, the last two Wednesday nights, I've challenged you, go after the presence of God and go after the word of God. Make sure those are your focus. Those are your pursuit, the presence of God and the word of God. When you do that, you'll never go wrong. 
If you're pursuing the presence and you're pursuing the word of God, you will hear his voice. You will have direction for your life. So let me ask you, when you get up in the morning, every single one of us have some kind of pursuit. We have some kind of focus. We're following after something. What are you following after? You're following after just ambitious gain? Are you following after notoriety? More raises, more promotions, more bonus, more just more money, more, more connections? What are you following after? A bigger house, faster car? None of those things in themselves are bad, but are you following after God with that same type of ambition? Think about Jesus. Here's the picture that we need to try to follow as an example in our lives. Because when we get up in the morning and we say, how am I going to follow after God? What's my posture going to be today of going after God? Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus was all in on following after God. All in. Before he was denied, before he was betrayed, before he was arrested, before he was uh, sentenced through trial before he was hung on the cross and beaten and mocked. He went to the garden of Gethsemane and he put himself on the shelf and he knelt down and he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. In other words, he was all in. He said, Lord, I'm owned by you. I'm God's man. So whatever you want, I'm all in. I'll do what you want me to do. So he flees from certain things. He follows after other things. And number three, he fights for certain things. He fights for, he's known by what he fights for. But what are we fighting for? Verse 12 says, fight the good fight of the faith. That good fight of the faith, that word, it talks about, it's the word kalos. It talks about the noble fight, the fight for the Christian faith the fight for the content of the faith, the fight for the biblical truth is what he's talking about. Because there were people coming into the church that Timothy was pastoring that were trying to redefine Christianity. They were trying to preach a different gospel. And Paul was telling him, fight for the truth, fight for the faith, fight for what is right, fight for the real definition of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And our world and our culture today is doing exactly the same thing, trying to redefine Christianity. They're trying to make it where, hey, whatever you think is okay, then that's all right. Whatever you want to call God, you call God. Whatever you think is acceptable, whatever you work out your salvation, and they've interpreted that as you make up your own rules for salvation. Whatever's comfortable for you, you go with that. And what Paul was telling Timothy is, uh, don't, don't give up this fight. Fight for the truth, fight for the word. And I'm gonna go there just for a moment, but I want you to hear my heart. What do we see all around us this month? Every restaurant, every, nearly every business, every bank lobby, TV commercials, it's pride month. With a rainbow. Identified by a rainbow. Where did the rainbow come from? The rainbow came from God. It was God's sign to man. It was God's sign of a promise. And the very symbol of God's promise to man is being redefined as something else. Now listen, I care about your feelings about your sexuality. 
but I care more about your soul. I care about your attractions, but I care more about your soul. I care about your career plans and your dreams, but I care way more about your soul. I care about your marriage, but I care more about your soul. I care about your finances and I care about your health and I care about your children and I care about your parents, but I care more about your soul and I'm willing to fight for your soul. So I'm willing to not let this scripture be redefined by a culture that just wants to make it convenient and comfortable to live any way we wanna live. Oh, we have the redefinition today of murder. It's called women's reproductive rights. And it's unfortunate when an unplanned pregnancy derails a young lady's college plans, career plans, or marriage plans. But I'm less concerned about whether this distraction limits your ability to, ha to make friends or to have a career and I'm more concerned about you standing before God. After taking a life, or I'm more concerned about the life that never got a chance to take its first breath here on this earth. See, there are certain things that are more important than others. There's some, that, it's very tragic. Life is difficult sometimes. Our choices have consequences. But our choices have consequences eternally as well. What we're battling for is eternal. This is not an easy battle. It's a very tough battle. The spiritual battle, the eternal battle is very, very difficult. In fact, the ancient Greek boxers would box with gloves that were lined with fur for comfort on the inside, but were made of oxhide on the outside, very rough, and then sewn inside the oxhide was lead and steel. And that's the way they would box. And then once was down, they would gouge one another's eyes out to declare victory. That's serious warfare. We are in serious warfare today. The church is under attack. Biblical truth is under attack. What it means to be a follower of Christ is under biblical attack. And that's why the man of God needs to flee from certain things, follow after other things, and fight for biblical truth. Here's the fourth and last in the worship team if you come back. Finally, one more thing characterizes the man of God. We know he follows or flees certain things. Flees sin, flees the world, flees love of money, follows after godliness, righteousness, perseverance. Fights for biblical truth, but he's faithful to. He's known for what he's faithful to. Look at this in verse 13, 14. In the sight of God who gives life to everything, of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command. Keep this command. What does that mean? Well, that word command in the Greek literally means the law. And it was representative of the law of God. Not necessarily every single law, but the law in general. Well, Jesus, he summed up all the Old Testament law in two simple commands and made it real simple. Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Simple. Love God, love people. 
We don't change depending on people's skin color. We don't change depending on people's wealth. We don't change depending on what state you've come from, what country you've come from. Love God, love people, period. Can I get an amen? Amen. We love God and we love people no matter what. What are you faithful to? Now, here's where a lot of people are. People, a lot of people today, they say, oh, I'll give you my life, Lord, and I'll die for you. And we make this sacrifice to Jesus as some glorious martyrdom experience. I'll die for you. It's kind of like we come to the Lord and we lay a thousand dollar bill on the table and say, I'll give it all to you. You know what Jesus does? He gives us the thousand dollar back. He says, go take it to the bank and exchange it for quarters. $1,000 worth of quarters and go out and spend your life one quarter at a time. Go help the person who needs a cup of water. Go help the person who needs a coat, who's cold. Go help somebody who needs a morsel of food. Go help somebody move. Go help somebody who's struggling. Go put your arm around somebody. Go pray for somebody. Go hug somebody. Go stay up all night with somebody. Go visit somebody. Pour your life out one quarter at a time. You see what we want? We want the big show. Here I am, Lord. And God said, I don't want all that. Go out and spend your life helping somebody take the grocery cart back into the grocery store. Help that lady struggling to get the pallet of water into her car. Go do it for her. Go open the door for somebody. Go give yourself away one quarter at a time. Loving God by loving people. That's what God's looking for in each and every one of us. So the question isn't really, are you willing to die for Jesus? You know what the question is? Are you willing to live for him? I know a lot of people that die for him. Yeah, put a bullet in my head. Who wouldn't live for him two days in a row. God's looking for people, men of God, women of God, children of God, young and old alike, that would be willing to live for him every single day. There's a lot of us, oh, we'll take the easy way out. Just take me out, Lord, take me out. Maybe he wants you here to be light, to be salt. 